And I'm really excited about Deuteronomy, so grab your Bible. We're picking up in verse 9. We launched this last Sunday, and folks seem to be pretty excited about it. I did have a guy grab me in the foyer and say, I'm so pumped about Deuteronomy. He said, I have one request. Can you stretch this out over three years, please? So I just want you to know, that's not my idea. So if that happens, talk to that guy. I won't even tell you who it is. Um, But uh, if you missed last Sunday, go back and listen to the intro. But I'm going to give you a one-sentence kind of uh, heading for the whole book. It goes like this. The book of Deuteronomy is a series of speeches that Moses gave to second-generation Israel on the eastern boundary of the promised land. Now, I'm going to say that sentence again, and what I want you to realize is everything about that sentence is supposed to alert you, something's wrong. Something's not right. The book of Deuteronomy is a series of speeches that Moses gave to second-generation Israel all the way up on the eastern boundary of the promised land. And you should be thinking, what happened to first generation Israel? Why are they all the way up there? Why aren't they in the promised land already? Why is Moses having to give speeches in the first place? Remember last Sunday, look at your Bible, verse two. Remember I read this verse to you. It's 11 days journey from Horeb, Mount Sinai, to Kadesh Barnea. That is the southern town, so the southern entrance into the promised land. Remember when I told you, it actually only takes 11 days to get from Sinai to the promised land. So why, verse three, is it 40 years later? 40th year on the first day, finally Moses is giving speeches. What happened? Where's the first generation? There's a story under that little verse. And today we're going to hear the story. The rest of chapter one is the story. What happened at Kadesh Barnea? And what can we learn about it? And I'm going to summarize it in a phrase, really simple. It goes like this, five words. Sin is such a waste. It's such a waste. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of resources. It's a waste of your life. It's a waste of energy. And sometimes it's a waste of an entire generation. Sin's just not worth it. I'm gonna talk about sin today and some of you are thinking, whoa, buzzkill, buddy. But here's the thing, actually, (laughs) okay? Actually, this might be the most encouraging sermon you ever hear in your life if it frees you up from wasting your life. Because sin is a waste. It's not worth it. Have you ever done something you thought was going to be a really great idea and you were like, that was not worth it? Like, you know, going to Taco Bell at 11 p.m., it's like, that was not worth it. Some of you are like, I never think that's a good idea, but okay, maybe it's just me. It's just not worth it. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And actually, it's kind of a long text. Look at your Bible. We're going from chapter 9 all the way to the end of the chapter. So I'm going to go verse by verse. And what I want to do to make this easier for you is I'm going to give you a heading for each section so you kind of know what we're going to read, and then I'll show you where I got the heading. The first section right there in your Bible, look at it, is verses 9 to 18, and here's the heading. Whatever's about to happen, you can't blame it on the leadership, all right? (laughs) 
Don't even try to blame this on the leadership because that's what we do in, in our sin, don't we? We blame somebody else. I was reading this week, I'll read it in a second, I promise. I was reading in Exodus and then in some places in Numbers. Do you know how often the people of Israel blame Moses for all the things that go wrong? And for them? they're like, Moses, what's wrong with you? It's like, it's just human nature to blame somebody else for when stuff doesn't go right in my life. Here's the story. Read it with me. Verse nine, at that time I said to you, I'm not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the, God, may the Lord, the God of your fathers make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. How can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes, wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. So this is a story about getting organized in the leadership. Moses says, the growth of, your, uh, the growth of this people is such that it's become unmanageable. Moses says, we need some leadership hierarchy here. We need to get some structure going on. That's what's happening in this story. Here's the thing you need to realize. The reason this is happening is because God is blessing the movement. They're growing. And sometimes when God blesses a movement, it grows and that creates challenges, right? Growth creates challenges. By the way, you see that little phrase in verse nine where it says, you're as numerous as the stars of, of the skies. You see that? Behold, you're as numerous as the stars of heaven. That's a hyperlink back to the, when, the moment when Moses came to Abraham and said, I'm gonna bless you. I'm making a covenant with you. Come outside, Abraham. Look up at the heavens. That's the number of, that your offspring will be. And now what's happening is God's fulfilling that promise and they're growing and it's creating problems in the, in the movement. Sometimes when a movement grows, things get a little messy, right? You can't find a place to park. You have to go to the junior high. They run out of coffee. Your kid gets turned away from the nursery, right? Just because it's a move of God doesn't mean it's not gonna get messy sometimes. So take heart. By the way, real quick, this isn't just about a crowd, all right? A crowd is not necessarily a sign that God's doing something. I want you to think about this with me for a minute. It's really easy to draw a crowd. Anyone can do it. All you have to do is say easy things, shave off all the hard edges, talk about stuff people want you to say, agree with their politics, agree with their social views. I promise you, you can grow a crowd. A Christ-centered movement is not the same thing as a crowd, amen? And sometimes I'm gonna say stuff and you're gonna go, that really irritated me. Thank you, Jesus. I'm coming back next week because I'm a glutton for punishment. No, you'll come back because you know I'm not trying to please men. I'm trying to please Jesus. And sometimes that means I'm gonna say things you don't like. That's okay. But the cra- sometimes the growth creates problems and Moses says, we gotta work out the leadership thing. So I left off at verse 14. You answered me. The thing that you've spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and I set them as heads over you. Commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. It's this highly structured leadership. 
And I charged your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who's with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone for the judgment is God's. And the case that's too hard for you, you can bring it to me and I'll hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. I wish I had more time. There's so much in this, but a lot of those themes come up later in Deuteronomy. Here's the point. Whatever's about to happen at Kadesh Barnea cannot be blamed on a lack of leadership. Moses isn't at fault. His leaders, they're righteous leaders. And most importantly, God's not at fault. God's blessing, God's moving. There's only one reason why what is about to go down is gonna go down. And that reason is right in here. Hard, stubborn, human hearts. So why, why do we have this story? I think we have this story so that, and I'm about to move on, so that now, however many thousands of years later, we can go back and learn from their mistakes. Now Moses is saying to second generation Israel, do not repeat what your mothers and fathers did. Learn from it. Learn these lessons. Here's heading number two. Sin always starts with distorted vision. Always. It always begins with a warped picture of the character of God. Just think about that for a minute and then I'm gonna read it. Because if you, if you think about it, you, it's so true, isn't it? The reason I did that is because I'm, really, I'm working with a wonky vision of who God is. Now let's read the story. I left off at verse 19. So we set out from Horeb at Sinai and we went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw. On the way to the hill country of the Amorites as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. There it is, the southern tip of the promised land. And I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites. In the southern part of the promised land or Palestine, it's sort of like a hill country. That's code for this is the land that God's given the people, which the Lord our God is giving us. Verse 21, see, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession. As the Lord, the God of your fathers has told you, do not fear, don't be dismayed. Then all of you came to me and said, let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way in which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. Sort of like a reconnaissance mission. They're like, let's send spies in there to scope it out. Verse 23, the thing seemed good to me, this is Moses, and I took 12 men from you, one man from each tribe. So this is like the people, get to, they get to Kadesh Barnea. God says, go up, take the land. And what do they say? Let's real quick send some spies in. Now, from a worldly perspective, that might seem like caution, wisdom, but the reader should be asking, what is the actual motivation for this move? Are they being wise or are they kicking the can down the road? 
okay, Lord, we'll get there eventually, but we're going to scope it out for ourselves, right? Isn't that interesting? And by the way, when Moses said, the, seem, the thing seemed good to me, anytime you hear that in the Bible, that's a bad thing. Anytime people are like, this seems brilliant, it's usually not, okay? <laughs> right? Moses like, great idea. No, not a great idea. Sin always starts with a distorted vision of who God is. And this moment reveals a warped view of God's sovereignty. They're like, we trust you, but not really. Have you ever heard of the word providence, similar to sovereignty? God's providing for us. God's, he's going to take care of us. And we believe that. And the people are like, yeah, God, you've cared for us. But we're also going to send some spies in and scope it out for ourselves. Do you know how often our sin can be traced back to I'm not sure I actually totally trust that you're in control, Lord. So I'm going to take things into my own hands. Right? Isn't that true? This might seem like a really silly illustration, but you know what? I second God, I second guess God all the time in the process of writing sermons. Here's what happens. A lot of times I'll wake up on Monday and I'll get my Bible and I'll go down to my office and I'll just read the passage several times Monday morning. And what happens in that moment almost always is God will give me very clear direction about what I'm supposed to do on Sunday. And then you know what I do for the rest of the week? I send out spies. I go, you totally Lord, but I'm also going to just explore this a lot. You know, I'm going to overthink it. I'm going to overfixate. right? Do you ever do that? I know for a fact, the people in here, you, you, you trust God to provide for you at work, but also sometimes you cut corners to make sure you get ahead. Or a person says, I totally trust that the way of following Jesus is the good life, it will be abundant, but I'm also gonna make sure I have a little bit of worldly fun because I wanna enjoy life while I'm here and I'll sort of find a way to fit that into my Christianity. God, I trust you to bring a godly spouse into my life, but I'm also going to compromise some of my standards because I really want this relationship to work. We do it all the time. Do we trust that God is a provider? By the way, do you, uh, can you look real quick at verse uh, 20? I want to talk for just a moment about the fact that what we have in this story is God giving the people of Israel a piece of land that's already occupied by another people group. And here's what I want to say just real quick. Last Sunday, I told you, we're going to have a forum about this. This is one of those things we read in our Old Testament that is kind of disturbing. It, it bothers me. I know it bothers many of you. Wait a minute, is God giving, is he God giving the people permission to go in and wipe out a people group? Lots of people struggle with this. Many Christians, you probably know people who are wrestling with it. So here's what we're gonna do. We're having a forum on Sunday evening, October 22nd. It's called Violence and the Bible. 
And what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna hit this head on. I'm gonna just, it'll be more like a lecture. It's gonna take me about an hour and a half. It's a long form conversation. I really hope you'll come to that. By the way, last Sunday I told you it starts at seven. We moved it forward to 6 p.m. So we're done by 7.30. So young moms and dads, we love you. We want you there. There's childcare, amen? Okay, we're moving on. Here's what happened, verse 24. The spies turned, they went up into the hill country. They came to the valley of Eshol and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land. They brought it down to us. And look at this. And they brought us word again and said, this is a really good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Now, some of you already know that if you read that story in Numbers, there's another group within that group of spies who say some other things. They say, this is the people up there are really big and their cities are really fortified. I'm not sure we can do this. And what happens is, the verse I'm about to read, the people of Israel choose to listen to the wrong humans. Verse 26, you would not go up, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You know what, just a minute. Yeah, you would not go up, but you, command, you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he's brought us out of the land of Egypt to bring us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have melted our hearts saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great. They're fortified up to heaven. And besides, we've seen the sons of the Anakim there. That word Anakim, it was a, these were like the giants. Think Goliath, okay? And here's what, that paragraph I just read, 26 to 28, I want you to look at your Bible. That's the most disturbing paragraph in the first part of Deuteronomy. It's disturbing, The Lord God hated us? Really? It's not just that they listened to the opinions of people over God. It's not just that they exaggerated the threat. I mean, the cities were not fortified to heaven, all right? They might have had walls. But they they over-exaggerated the threat, and they underestimated their God. And that's not even the most crazy thing they did. This goes deeper. This goes to the question, do we believe God is good? Do we actually believe that? The way you answer that question, and I'm not talking what comes out of your mouth. Try to, I'm gonna, a couple times this morning, I'm gonna try to get you to go into your heart and go to the places where You're not always honest with people about what you're feeling. And that's okay. God wants to move there. Have you ever found yourself thinking, is God actually good? Is he for me? See, the way you answer that question, it'll it'll set the foundation for everything else you do. Look at verse 27. So here's what happened. I read verse 27 on Monday morning and the second I read it, I leaned forward and I realized this is gonna be a very critical moment on Sunday. I'm gonna hover here for just a little while. 
They murmured in their tents. Do you see that? Do you know what that means? They tried to go somewhere privately where they could talk about God behind his back. Which that in and of itself reveals a distorted view of who God is. Can you talk behind God's back? That's the question. He's sovereign. He's omniscient. He's everywhere. They didn't murmur in public. They went into their tents, closed the flap, and they complained about God. Whoa. Have you ever done that? I have. You know, I don't even try to do it behind his back anymore. (laughs) Right? Have you ever done that? I have a friend who's a, he's a pastor who did my wedding. He, um, he led my, my wife, Kathy, to Jesus. He was been very, he's been very formational in my life. And one time we were talking about kind of my life and my journey of faith. And he, he gave me an exercise. He said, here's what I want you to do, Adam. I want you to pay attention to the, the inner monologue that happens when you're doing mundane tasks and you're not in control of what you're thinking about completely. You know what I mean by this? It's like on Mondays, I'll go out and I'll mow the lawn or I'll do, I'll, I'll weed and stuff. And my mind just wanders. And then he said, what I want you to do is when you're not controlling anymore what you're actually thinking, try to stop and pay attention to what was just going on in your head. And sometimes I'll stop and go, whoa, what was I just thinking about God in that moment? Are you kidding me? Or about that person or my neighbor? What's under the surface? And not only that, look at the next phrase. It's not just that they grumbled. Look at this. They grumbled and said, because the Lord hated us, he brought us out of the land of Egypt. Hated? Here's what's happening. They took... The one moment in biblical history that was the greatest demonstration of God's love and they flipped it upside down and used it to accuse God of hate. Wow. There's an entire book written, Exodus, about how loving God was. He came through the person of Moses to free his people out of bondage. Why? Because he loved them. He redeemed them, rescued them, led them through the Red Sea. He fed the manna from heaven. A cloud of fire went before them at night and a cloud of smoke by day, God's presence. He provided, he cared for them. And then at the moment of decision, when they're standing at the boundary, they took a story of love and flipped it around and used it to accuse God of hate. Amazing. And you know what? There's nothing new under the sun. Happens all the time. Think about it. Think about the things people will say about God to justify their desire to not follow him. They'll take, they'll take things that, that are clear demonstrations of God's love and they'll flip it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him would have eternal life. Oh, God is so exclusive. You have to, you have, to have a relationship with Jesus? What? <laughs> For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. So you're telling me God's a cosmic child abuser. 
Have you ever heard that one? We take things that, things that reflect God's love and we flip them and accuse them of hate. And the only reason we do it is because we don't want to serve him. We'll find anything we can. It's, it's, it's important for us to think about it. Let me read on. This is, this is an, uh, an amazing, sin always starts by distorting the character of God. And that's why what Moses does next, he says, think about all the times God showed you how faithful he is. Verse, verse 29, then I said to you, don't be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries a son. This doesn't sound like a God of hate. It sounds like a father who loves us. All the way that you, were, that you went until you came to this place, yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. Moses is saying, God showed you over and over he loves you and now you're accusing him of hate. Okay, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna rush past this moment because I know for a fact that in this room, we need to get beneath the surface. So all I wanna do for just a minute is have you, to the best of your ability, try to imagine no one else is here and I want you to think about what are some of the things that happen Beneath the surface, in your heart, your attitude towards God. Do you ever think, I don't know if God's for me. I think God's out to get me. Can I really trust God right now with this? I mean, maybe I should, maybe I should kind of manipulate a little bit. If some of that happens, welcome to the, welcome to the party, Okay. This is the human nature. And the thing is, God gave us the story because he loves us so much. He says, I wanna free you. I wanna free you from that today. So I'm gonna pray for you at the end, but now I'm gonna give you the final heading. This isn't gonna take too long here. Think about this for just a minute. Sin never moves you forward. It only takes you back. It never moves you forward. I don't care how appealing it is at the beginning. You know, sometimes sin, it seems like a really appealing thing on the front end. And then you get two, three, four, five years down the li your life and you're like, oh my gosh, that did not move me forward at all. That just took me out of the game. I like to say sin, what sin does is it writes checks it cannot cash. Amen? And some of you are like, what is a check? Okay. <laughs> Sin sends you a Venmo and there's nothing in the account, okay? <laughs> Whatever you need. The point is, sin will tell you, this is gonna be amazing. And then several years later, you realize, I totally eliminated myself from being a part of God's blessings. Sin never takes you forward. Now, let me read it. And the Lord heard your words and he was angered and he swore, not one of these people of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to them, to your fathers, except Caleb, 
Caleb was one of the spies with the good report. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him and to his children, I'll give the land on which he has trodden, because he, was holy, he has wholly followed the Lord. And then look at this, Moses says, even with me, the Lord was angry on your account and said, you also shall not go in there. I told you last Sunday, Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land. He actually dies at the end of Deuteronomy on top of a mountain on the eastern side of the Jordan River, looking into the land. Joshua got to go in. Joshua was one of the spies like Caleb who had a good report. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. And to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. God never punishes children for the sins of their parents. Now look at this, verse 40. This is the verse. But as for you, turn around and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. I just think about this. Turn around and go back. Because sin never moves you forward. Never. I promise you. Don't even try to test this theory, okay? Don't do it. You will never move forward by disobeying God. You'll only go back. Isn't that a fascinating statement? What's with the Red Sea? What's with the Red Sea thing? I think God's saying, okay, you don't want to enter into the blessing that I have for you. You're going to rebel against me. Then I'm going to let you go back into the wilderness. I brought you out of Egypt. I parted the Red Sea to bring you here. And now you want to stubbornly rebel? Head back to the Red Sea. Profound. For just a minute, I want to acknowledge some people hear stuff like this and they think, man, God is so vindictive. Like, he's really petty. This is why I don't like the God of the Old Testament. I, I hear that a lot. Let me, let me take a minute to just address that. The first thing I want to say is, I think that in our culture, for probably a lot of reasons, secular humanism, some of the philosophies, I think what we've inherited from our culture is a very high view of human beings and a very low view of God. Isn't that right? And because of that, we have a really hard time with the idea of some God out there holding us responsible for things we do. When the reality is this God has been gracious, kind, merciful, patient over and over. And finally, what he does is he just says, okay, if you don't want to go that way, I'm going to let you go the way you want to go. Discipline is not the same thing as condemnation. This is not God condemning the people. This is just God letting them live with the consequences of their decision. And he he does that because he's merciful. Sometimes God says, I'm going to let you live with the natural consequences of the way you're going. But here's the fascinating thing. Think about this. When God said, turn around and go back, do you know what happened? God said, but I'm going to go with you. I'm actually going with you back into the wilderness. Did you know the pillar of fire by night and the cloud of smoke by day went with the people back 
back into the wilderness. Even in his discipline, God led and loved them. Amazing. But he did let them experience the consequences of their sin. Here's one other thing I need to say, and the Lord gave me this on Monday morning. I want you to think about this. Nothing will stop God from accomplishing his redemptive purpose. Not even human rebellion. He'll still accomplish it. Or let me say it like this. A generation of Israel is going into the promised land. I promise you. It just might not be the first generation. They recuse themselves through stubborn refusal. And this is where I want to say to you, God's going to accomplish his purposes. God's on the move. God's going to do great things. God's going to cause the gospel to spread. But it's possible that you could recuse yourself from being a part of the blessing of that by stubbornly turning your back on him. And he doesn't want that for you. And maybe this morning is the wake up. Lord, what have I been doing? Why have I been going that way? You've been warning me. Today is your day to be freed up. I'm gonna pray about that in just a moment. But let me read out the text. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come and I'll I'll read you the rest of the story. And then I'm gonna tell you something about Jesus. Verse 41, then you answered me. We have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves, we will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. That seems like a positive thing, right? We're gonna discover in a minute, it's not so positive. The people are going, okay, we'll do it. But what we're gonna see in a moment is their hearts are still very hard. Look at this. Every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. And the Lord said to me, say to them, do not go up or fight for I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you and you would not listen. They're just as hard-hearted as they were. Isn't that amazing? They would not listen, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord and you presumptuously went up into the hill country. I love that word, presumptuously. In the Hebrew, it, it means a boiling pot. It's like a word picture for someone who all of a sudden has this boost of confidence, but it's totally misguided. We can do this. And God's like, I'm not with you now. Remember, we're going back into the wilderness. Then the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do. And they beat you down in Seir as far as Horma. And you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. So you remained at Kadesh many days, the days that you remained there. It's a heavy story, isn't it? It's a big deal. You see that phrase, they came back and they cried and God says, I'm not listening to that. Here's what I want you to realize. That's not God, that's not God ignoring genuine repentance. The people were not crying because they had a broken relationship with God. The people were crying because they just got humiliated in battle. They were crying because they got chased out of the promised land like bees, right? They were nursing their egos. True repentance 
is me before God saying, God, I've sinned against you. And that's different than I'm sad because my life fell apart because of my decisions. That's not real repentance. Real repentance, which is, I'm gonna give you an opportunity right now, is me in the presence of God, hearing his voice and realizing I've been going another way and my heart is broken because of my relationship with you, Lord. You've been gracious. You sent your son into the world to die on a cross in my place. And I continue to go after these other things. God will never close his ear to a repentant sinner. Never. And actually, if if this morning, as you step forward in repentance, that will move you forward, I promise you. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes for a moment. My friend Peter is just gonna play the keys. And I wanna give you a minute to think about what you've heard today. Sometimes it can be a gift to be asked to pause and think about my heart. What's going on under the surface? What am I caught in right now? Are you caught up in in a pattern in your life? Are you caught up in a habit of falling prey to a temptation over and over? And you know, I'm not moving forward. I'm just, I've taken myself out of the game completely. Have you found yourself cutting corners at work to get just a little bit more ahead? Have you found yourself gossiping about somebody? Are you in a relationship and you're doing things you know Jesus is not supportive of? The most gracious thing God does is sometimes he he comes and he says, will you just set that down and walk away? Just leave that behind today. And so Jesus, we, we confess in our community this morning the grace of Christ, perfect, powerful redemption. Forgiveness for all of that, any sin, total forgiveness and power to walk away and start moving forward with God. I prayed over my friends. I prayed over my own heart, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We wanna follow you. And we ask this together in your precious holy name. Amen. Amen.